Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your marriage and your sex life. And today, I'm going to share a story with you. You know, um, last year we, we published The Great Sex Rescue, which was based on our survey of 20,000 women. And each one of those women has their own story. You have your own story. And every day I hear from so many people who are coming out of difficult marriages or difficult churches or maybe great marriages, but they just were stuck. And a lot of the reasons they were stuck was because of the things that they had been taught. And I hear constantly that reading our book, The Great Sex Rescue, or reading our newer books, uh, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, are helping people find not just freedom in the bedroom, but find Christ for the first time. And so I have a woman's story that I want to share with you today. I'm going to be interviewing Emily Elizabeth Anderson from Thriving Forward, who grew up largely in a cult and experienced sexual abuse and sexual harassment there and is now on the other side. And I thought her story could help give some of you hope and insight and maybe into what you're going through as well. Before I turn to her, though, I do want to do a special shout out on how you can help us and support this podcast. So we do have a Patreon. Yay! Um, For as little as $5 a month, you can help support the work that we do, um, getting our work into social media spaces that we can't monetize right now, getting our research into peer-reviewed journals. We're going to be doing a big push for that now that our manuscript, our latest manuscript is in for our mother-daughter book, which is coming up next year. We have unfiltered podcasts, we have merch, we have all kinds of neat perks. So I will put the link in the podcast notes. It's patreon.com slash bear marriage. And also if you want to help support me because I'm going to be doing transcripts of the podcast starting in a few weeks and this will help pay for it. I love Nick's bras. I'm an affiliate for Nick's bras and I would encourage all of you to use my links for nix.com or nix.ca if you're in Canada. They're in the description for this podcast. I just got a new one, the Seamless Moves bra. It is so amazing. I will never go back to an underwire bra again. And that was all I ever used to wear. But I love these. You know, they look great. They, they're so super comfortable. So please um, check out nix.com bras because it's about time that women's clothing was focused on our comfort too without sacrificing what it looks like. So um, check that out. And when you do that and when you purchase using those links, you support our podcast. Okay. And now I would like to turn to our interview. I am thrilled to have Emily Elizabeth Anderson from Thriving Forward join me today. I have met Emily on Facebook. We've interacted and I just love everything she does. So Emily, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Sheila. I am so honored to be here. So excited to finally be able to talk to you. Uh, not in person, but you know, over video, pretty close. better than Facebook, right? Yeah, pretty close. <laughs> First time we've heard each other's voices. So that's awesome. You've got an amazing story. I want to talk about what your life is like now, but I don't think people will understand unless they hear your story. So can you tell us what life was like growing up for you? Yes, I'd love to. Um, But before that, I do also just want to extend my thanks for your work Um, (laughs) as an author, your blog. I came across your blog right when I met my uh, husband and which was about a year before we got married. And at that point in my journey, I hadn't really deconstructed a lot of the purity movement that I was raised in. Mm. And so I just dug through your archives and read and read so many posts. And it really, really helped in that point of our relationship where I was able to deconstruct a lot of that 
purity movement stuff. And thanks to all of that, my husband and I were able to grow uh, in our intimacy. And in addition to my husband, I credit you to us being able to have a wonderful honeymoon. <laughs> oh, that's so amazing. I love that. <laughs> oh, so thank you. Oh, you're um, welcome. <laughs> all right. Well, um, goodness, a bit about my story. Well, um, I was born and raised into a pretty conservative fundamentalist Christian home. I went to a fundamentalist private Christian school from first through fourth grade. And then starting in fifth grade, my mother pulled me out of that school and we started homeschooling. And we joined Bill Gothard's Institute in Basic Life Principles. Yeah. So we were a part of the homeschooling segment, which was called ATI or the Advanced Training Institute. I mean, joining it, um, you know, in fifth grade, you know, what was that, 12, 13 years old? That was just the time to completely shape my mm-hmm. thoughts about everything in life. <laughs> And so we went to the conferences every year, followed the homeschool material. We were going to very fundamentalist churches at the time. So I was raised in the era of I kissed dating goodbye mm-hmm. and the purity pledges and the very modest clothing and mm-hmm. all of and that. And for people who don't know, like ATI was a big thing. It was like they had like what 15, like 1.5 million people. Like it was, it was a big thing. And and that's what the Duggars used. Like they were part of it too. So yes. And my family was a part of it during the years the Duggar family was. So I went to all those same conferences that the Duggars Mm -hmm. went to. Um, sometimes in, in later years, as the Duggars were gaining in popularity, they started becoming speakers at the conferences every year. ATI was a international organization. They had their headquarters were in Chicago, but they had campuses, I mean, in Russia and New Zealand and Mexico. I mean, they were all over the place. We went to family conferences every year where everyone would gather. But in addition to that, there was daily material that you would study called the wisdom booklets. Mm-hmm. And they were written some by Bill Gothard, some by his brother and others in the organization. But that was, I mean, that was the foundation that everything in our life was centered on. And it completely shaped how I viewed the world and Christianity and everything about it. Looking back now, I realized that Jesus was hardly ever talked about in the material. We, we learned about God, the father, and it was mostly from a very patriarchal viewpoint. And I had a really messed up view of what the gospel was. I didn't understand the real gospel message until years later when I started to deconstruct, but you know, it was more than just a set of rules on how a Christian should behave. I mean, yeah, it was primarily that, but it was also a false gospel. Like right. we didn't understand how the gospel actually worked. Right. And the Gothard, I think one of the things he's most known for is the umbrellas. I'll get, I'll get Katie to put a picture of the umbrella analogy on the screen for those of you watching on YouTube, but 
the umbrellas never made a lot of sense to me because if you have the big umbrellas it's god why do you need any other umbrellas like why is it raining right <laughs> under, right under there the are no umbrella. holes in, in jesus's umbrella right so. so there's like there's the big umbrella which is god and then under that is the husband with a slightly smaller umbrella and then under that is the wife with a slightly smaller umbrella and then under her is the kids mm-hmm. but why and do you even need any other umbrella? and then he shows that if you miss if you if you mess up the order then you actually have satan at the top correct if you come outside of your umbrella you are exposed to quote the fiery darts of satan unquote right um and so basically like if you stepped a toe out of line and you didn't follow all the teaching exactly, then that meant calamity would happen upon your family. And we were told that would look like a woman getting raped. That would look like your house burning down. That would look like someone dying in a car crash. Like we always heard these horrible. You threaten people dying in car crashes? Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's horrible, but there was a well-known story that was published in some IBLP material of a teenage girl that died tragically in a car crash and her father blamed it on the fact that she was outside of the of her umbrella because she was listening to rock music wow okay now i i want to stress this was a really big thing and it was very big in the homeschooling community but this didn't represent all of homeschool. And I, and I just, I do want to say that because we homeschooled our girls. We did not use any of this stuff. Yeah. We, we actually didn't use a lot. There were a lot of Christian materials we refused to use because we thought the science was so bad or there was serious problems with it. I used a lot of old textbooks, like we, but we had a great time homeschooling. We did some online courses through the board of education in Ontario. The girls did university courses at 16. So we're not, this isn't an anti-homeschooling podcast. <laughs> this isn't. <laughs> anti-fundamentalist bill gothard yes for sure there's a right way you could do homeschooling (laughs) yes because rebecca is and joanna are both planning on homeschooling their kids um so it's not joanna's not my daughter she's my co-author for great sex rescue but they're they're both planning on homeschooling but we're very much against what you were taught so so was it different so you grades one to four you're in this fundamentalist christian school and then you go into homeschooling with ATI. Did your family life change then? Not terribly because the private school was, I mean, taught all the same things pretty much. It was still the same modesty culture messages and, you know, no secular music, no TV. You can't go to the movies, like all of that. So it was still very, very rigid on rules and, and regulations. Right. And how many kids were in your family? Only two. Only two. And by the time, yes, I just, I only had an older sister. And by the time we started homeschooling, she was out of the home. So at that point it was pretty much my mom and I, and uh, my father was in the family, but he was um, abusive and he did not participate in ETI at all. He didn't go to any of the conferences, which, which set our family apart a bit. We didn't have like a super strong patriarchal figure in the family. My father was pretty much a workaholic and just very, you know, emotionally, verbally abusive in nature. So it was pretty much my mom and I going through the program. So that's different. Yeah. And, and which, you know, was hard because I had a lot of questions. I'm like, well, if 
my future husband is supposed to court me and he has to get permission from my father to court me. Like, how does that work if my dad's not really involved in all of that? You know, so it was, it was strange for me being raised in such a patriarchal system when I didn't have that kind of involved father figure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, okay. So you're, you're growing up in ATI, you're going to these conferences and then at some point, did you get an internship there or? It wasn't an internship. Um, Bill spotted me the very first conference that we attended when I was 13 and he was in his uh, early seventies. Yeah. And uh, he started to sexually groom me at that conference. Um, It started with flirtations and typical grooming behavior where he um, essentially, he just wanted me to, to quit school and come work at headquarters full time uh, and, and like join the ministry. And so you're 13. I'm 13. You're yeah. 13. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and again, and, and how many, you say he spotted you, how many people were at this conference? Probably 1500. Holy cow. So, okay. So, so this is a big honor then that he was oh, yes. singling you out. Oh yes. And that was known to, because I mean, Bill definitely singled out young girls all the time. And that was the highest honor in ATI was for a daughter to be asked to come work at headquarters. You know, parents usually just were so excited about that. But um, my mother, thank goodness, was a little bit more of a mama bear and she had a bit more instinct and knew that, yeah, that's not really a great idea. And so she was not in favor of it. Now, a lot of that motivation was I had just been diagnosed with Crohn's disease. So we were trying to get my health in order. So, you know, she just knew that I wasn't healthy enough to um, be away from her, her care and supervision. So we mostly use that as, as the excuse that, you know, uh, now's not a good time, but maybe when Emily is healthier in the future, maybe she can come and serve at the ministry. And every year Bill would approach me at the conferences. Um, so he remembered you, he would see you and remember who you were. He wouldn't actually. Oh, what's interesting is he never remembered who at least he pretended or, you know, he acted like he didn't know, uh, because he would, I would have to introduce myself and, and tell him my name and everything, but he would spot me out of crowd. He would come up Sometimes without even knowing my name, he would just ask me to work at the organization. He would compliment me, say I had a gorgeous smile and that um, my, I had a bright countenance was the wording that we would use. Um, you know, my spirit lit up, whatever. And he said he was really attracted to that. And so he wanted me to, to come work. And as I uh, got older, I would share more details with him that my home was, you know, pretty unstable. I had a, I didn't have a good relationship with my father and uh, he would start to then use my Crohn's disease as an excuse. And he would say, you know, Emily, you are sick because of the stress in your home, which was true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he said, you know, the answer is to get you out and come work for me. Right. That was his idea. And he would tell me like, you know, if you come work for me, you know, your Crohn's disease will go away. Yeah. He used all kinds of flowery promises to try to get me up there. Wow. And so did you? I did. When I was 18, uh, we finally decided that 
uh, and I say we, my mother and I, we would go up to headquarters for just two weeks for some counseling. My mother said, again, I don't really feel comfortable with Emily um, leaving the home at this time, but she said, our family does need some counseling. And so we agreed to come up there for just a couple of weeks. And as soon as we arrived, I remember us walking into the Bill's gigantic conference room and he stood up and he's like, Emily, this is the day I've been waiting for, for six years. You are finally here. And he sat us down and proceeded to tell my mother and I that my dad had lost all authority over me and that he was a jerk (laughs) and I needed to uh, leave my home and sign away my family and headquarters and the staff at headquarters would be my new family. And he tried to justify this with Bible verses uh, saying that the family was old Testament, but the church was new Testament. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. We were pretty shocked because we're like, this goes against everything he's ever taught. Yeah, this goes against the umbrellas of protection. because Exactly, exactly. Because he would specifically teach that even if your authority figure, the umbrella over you is an unbeliever, or if they, you know, are doing something wrong, they're sinning, they're abusive in nature, that God was still placed them in authority over you and you still needed to remain under their authority. And so it really did go completely contrary to everything that he ever taught. Right. He started um, telling us that, you know, I needed to, my mom needed to go home and I needed to stay at headquarters long-term. And we're like, this is, this is not what we signed up for. We said we were going to come up here for two weeks for counseling. And he's like, yeah, well, I only told you that because I thought it was the only way I could get you up here. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That began 10 days of a battle (laughs) between the three of us. And uh, Bill just kept insisting that he would not be able to help me or my family unless my mother went home and I stayed behind. And my mother and I just continued to say, we're not okay with this. And eventually after 10 days, we decided to just go home without any help, you know, the help that we thought we were going to get when we went up there. Six months later, I happened upon a website uh, called recoveringgrace.org. And I say it was a mistake that I happened upon it, but I, I do think it was providential. I wasn't looking for it. I'll say that, but I just happened upon it. And um, the front page, uh, the website was the blog that had just been posted and it was titled sexual harassment at headquarters. And I clicked on it in shock. I'm wondering what happened. I thought maybe a girl got attacked by a stranger or something. And uh, I started reading this article and it was written by a woman who worked up at headquarters in uh, 1992. And I went to headquarters in 2011. Mm-hmm. This woman just, details this pattern. Uh, she, she was, she worked under Bill and she details this pattern of sexual harassment and how Bill had groomed her over the course of several years. And that grooming just intensified 
And reading it, I just got chills because I felt like I was reading my own story. I could not believe the similarities. I mean, he gave her the same pet name. He did these, he just had these little flirtatious actions, which is exactly how Bill acted around me. And honestly, my, my first, uh, emotion I think was betrayal because Bill had made me believe that I had something completely unique and special about me and the way he would compliment me and just say that I was set apart and we were destined to do ministry together and that he loved me. And, you know, and I just, I really thought that I was something special. And then reading this account, I realized that I was not the only one that he said those words to, and there were countless others. I ended up writing my comment, or I, I wrote some comments in the Recovering Grace article, shared a little bit about my story. And over the course of the next several months, multiple women ended up coming forward. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's really no way to tell just how many women have uh, made claims, but it's, it's quite a few. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I wrote my comments, Bill reached out to me and he called our home number a few Ooh. days later and was very upset. And he said, I read your comments. How could you do this after everything I did for you? How could you say these things? And he accused me of lying, coming up with a malicious story with the intent of trying to destroy the ministry, which was not my intent at all. I still fully believed in the quote ministry. (laughs) You know, I still thought it was a great organization. I just had had a, a, a bad experience with Bill, I thought. And he just tore me down with his words and said, your words are harming this ministry and more damage is being done by the hour. And you need to recant. You need to take off your comments and, and, you know, explain that you lied. He basically said, you know, in a matter of weeks, if you don't, if you don't recant, the whole ministry is going to collapse and all these people are going to be out of work and it's going to be your fault. Right. And that's a heavy burden for a 19 year old. Yeah. Yeah. And so it worked and I cried and I begged, I begged for forgiveness. He said, it's okay, Emily. It's okay. I love you. I don't want you to cry. Everything will be okay. If you just remove your comments. So I uh, wrote into recovering grace and asked them to remove the comments. They, the way their website was set up was you couldn't remove a comment. Only an admin could. Right. And, um, an admin got back (laughs) to us and we ended up having a phone call for a couple hours with one of the admins. And he basically just explained, this is the tip of the iceberg. There is so much evil Mm -hmm. within this organization. And he's like, I know you guys don't understand this, but Bill is trying to manipulate you. Please don't let him. And so for, for the, for three weeks, um, we debated back and forth. Uh, we were harassed over the phone by Bill that entire time. He would call my home multiple times a day and insist that I'm not doing enough and the comments need to be taken down and I need to make a public statement that I was wrong. And like, we we just tried every compromise we could think about and he just wasn't having it. So 
eventually I wrote into Recovering Grace and I said, I, I think it's wrong to remove my comments because they were a hundred percent truthful, mm-hmm. but I cannot handle the phone harassment anymore. And I just want you to remove the comments and I never want to hear from you again. And they respected my wishes. Um, and that wasn't the last time I heard from Bill shockingly after all of that, he still contacted me a few more times in the next few years saying that he had this new ministry opportunity that he thought would be perfect for me. And he wanted me to come up and we just got off the phone as quickly as possible. (laughs) But, um, in 2015, I, I mean, I had kept an eye on the Recovering Grace website occasionally and checked in. And October 2015, they posted that a lawsuit had just been filed against, it was the, it was against the board members uh, or the, the IBLP board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was curious about it. I found out who the attorney was represent. It was for five women, I believe. And I uh, found out who the attorney was representing them. And I contacted that attorney and told him my story. And he said, you know, we're going to be adding more plaintiffs. Um, would you like to join? So I did end up joining the lawsuit. Um, and we, we ended up adding Bill on as well. So we, we sued both IBLP and Bill. And again, IBLP is Institute for Basic Life Principles, which is the, yeah, it's kind of confusing because it's IBLP <laughs> so many acronyms. and everything. But yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I joined as Jane Doe, Jane Doe number three. Mm-hmm. That lawsuit uh, concluded in March of 2020, mm-hmm. officially. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I I signed on in November of 2015, and I thought, I think. I'm going to need counseling if I'm going to do this. (laughs) So I contacted a counselor that my parents had gone to a couple of times years before. And um, December 15th, 2015 is the day I walked into that counselor's office. And I call that day my freedom day. Hmm. And it's a day that I celebrate every year, the anniversary of it. And, um, it it was the day that I told someone for the first time, this is what I went through in my childhood. And I think something was wrong with it, but I don't know what, right. You know, and that was when my deconstruction began. Right. So I want our listeners to understand how extreme Bill Goddard was like this Gothard was like this guy at the point where you knew him, he was in his seventies. He'd never been married, but he gave all of this advice on marriage and parenting. That was his thing. He knows he'd never married and he surrounds himself with teenage girls who all kind of look very similar. (laughs) Yes. He really had a type and it was a joke for years about Gothard girls and Gothard's harem. And for some reason, like no one saw a problem with that. Right. It's like a well-known, you know, fact that he liked young girls Mm -hmm. and surrounded himself with them. And we'll put some links in the podcast notes where you can read about some of the, the 
lawsuit in the background of all of this too, for any of you who want more information, but it, Bill Gothard also really didn't believe in abuse. Like you know, right. stuff, what, some of the worst stuff I've ever read that gets me the most infuriated is he had pamphlets on how to handle everything, absolutely everything in your life. There was a pamphlet for it. And one of them was you know, how to deal with like a four-year-old who discloses sexual abuse. And it was atrocious. It was all sin leveling. It was all God planned this. It was really terrible. It was truly truly awful. There was, there was nothing Christian about it. There was nothing that was remotely healthy about it. Yeah. It was all extremely unhealthy. And yet like hundreds of thousands of people were caught up in this. And it was seen as like the most Christian way to do homeschooling. Mm-hmm. What did your mother think when all of this is happening in 2011 and he's calling all the time? Did she start to wonder something was wrong? to say I really can't speak for her for where she was at that point but I will say she has grown a lot too mm-hmm. in the last few years and is starting to recognize patterns of abuse that I don't think that she saw before. Gothard was commonly referred to within ATI as the modern day apostle Paul mm-hmm. and so he was revered as just the most amazing apostle-like Christian and people just really, well, some people questioned him, but people that were hooked in the organization, they just didn't, they just didn't question it for the most part. A lot of people just firmly believed that whatever he said just must be true. But he's setting up this organization where you must obey authority. Authority can't be questioned. Authority speaks from God. Authority is there by God's design. And of course, he is at the ultimate authority. He placed himself in a very convenient position. Isn't it? Like, so I am the ultimate authority and I'm going to surround myself with these young girls. And I'm going to put myself in a position where young girls will want to be here because they will, that will be seen as, as an honor. So highly highly concerning, creepy, very, very, very wrong in every sense of the word. So this whole experience, you get out of this, you start going to therapy. Can you tell us a little bit about, you said that's when your deconstruction started. What what do you mean by that? At the very beginning, we started just working through the childhood trauma that I had endured. Um, In addition to the uh, grooming that I experienced from Bill, I had also experienced childhood sexual abuse from my father. And um, that was very difficult for me to understand that it was sexual abuse because another part of Gothard's teaching is, like you said, abuse really isn't a thing. And um, really the only abuse, sexual abuse that I ever heard of was rape. Mm-hmm. And specifically rape involving two sets of genitals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really thought that that was the only kind of sexual abuse there was. And I didn't understand what molestation was. I didn't understand what qualified as that. I didn't understand anything about harassment or grooming. Uh, and so I had experienced molestation from my father and then also just more obscure, very, very creepy totally inappropriate behavior, sexual comments, trying to barge in the bathroom, those kinds of things. And 
it took like six months for me to really come to grips with the fact that all of that was sexual in nature and it was sexual abuse. And so for several months of therapy, I was just trying to understand the trauma that I had endured in my childhood and starting to work through that and process that and starting to heal from that. About a year into it, I went to my counselor's office again. I said, okay, I am ready to consider the ETI is a cult. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That was a big step. So I started digging through more archives on the Recovering Grace website that specifically addressed the teachings and like the doctrine that was, Mm -hmm. that was in ETI. And so, um, at that point, I started to realize that I had a very messed up view of the gospel. And as I said at the very beginning, Jesus wasn't really talked about. Mm-hmm. And so instead, we were told that there is one way for a Christian to behave, and it includes these many, many different roles. Can I just interrupt you here? I, I, I actually want to stress this because this is a really key point I want our listeners to hear. If you're in a church that talks about God all the time, but never says the name Jesus, that's actually a problem. Like that, that to me, that's a red flag that something's wrong because it's very easy to say something like God gets angry if we vote for the wrong political party or God, I, I can't even think of a good example, but, or like God, you know, God wants men to be real men and stand up and, and fight against the feminization of the church and all of this stuff. It's very hard to say Jesus mm. in that same sentence. <laughs> you know? point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like it, as soon as you change it from God to Jesus, something is wrong. And there's a lot of churches, that's why they don't say Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Because they couldn't actually teach the things that they teach if they say the word Jesus. Mm. Women, God doesn't want you to deprive your husband of sex. Okay. Like God doesn't want you to say, no, don't you understand that God made him visual and God gave him a sex drive so that he is going to lust if you don't give him sex. And so ladies, you are the only sexual outlet that he has. And God made you the only sexual outlet that he has. And so you need to give him sex. Think of the same thing. Jesus made you the only sexual outlet that your husband has. Jesus gets angry at you if you do not have sex with him. And so that causes him to lust. It doesn't work. As soon as you say yeah. Jesus instead of God, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> and even when we did speak about Jesus uh, and when the wisdom booklets spoke on him, even then it was twisted. Is Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. And he sums up the law in two commandments, love God and one another, because if you are loving, and of course we, we, we don't have perfect love. We cannot show perfect love because we are still imperfect beings, even once we are justified. But, you know, if we are loving in the way that Christ does, we are automatically fulfilling the law. But instead, Gothard didn't teach that. Gothard taught what he called the 49 commands of Christ. So he came up with a new law. (laughs) Included a checklist of 49 different things that Jesus said to do. And even the Sermon on the Mount, and this one was hard for me to get over. So the wisdom booklets 
were actually structured around the Sermon on the Mount. And there were, goodness, 40, or um, there was 50, ugh, 52 or 54 wisdom booklets. And it, it went from Matthew 5 through 7. And like the very first wisdom booklet was, and seeing the multitudes, that's it. That was our verse or part of a verse okay. for wisdom booklet one. And the rest of the wisdom booklet was um, based off of that verse. And so the wisdom booklet was broken down into a segment on history. A, like it could be anything. It could be American history. It could be Egyptian history. It could be anything. So a section on history, one on quote unquote science, <laughs> one on um, medical, there was a medical resource. So for instance, on the first one of the booklet for and seeing the multitudes, the medical resource was on the eye. And so we learned how the human eye worked. Right. So he went to great, really stretched a lot of great lengths to be able to like make things related. Mm -hmm. But um, all that to say, the Sermon on the Mount was another checklist. So on all the Beatitudes and the, the blessed are, it's blessed are the meek. Okay, well, here's a whole booklet on how to be meek. Mm -hmm. And meek was our, we, we also had a character quality that went along with each wisdom booklet. And so it was like a check list on how to be the perfect meek Christian instead of what the Sermon on the Mount really is, which is essentially a letter to God's children mm -hmm. saying, you don't have to be wealthy and successful to be in the kingdom of God. It is the ones that have endured trauma. It's the ones who know suffering it is the poor. It is the downtrodden. That is where Jesus's heart goes to. And he says, you are already blessed. Mm -hmm. See, we didn't know that. We thought we had to earn blessing by our behavior. So really all of Gothard's teachings were, were mixed around by saying, you will earn God's love and approval if you follow Gothard's rules exactly. And if you mm -hmm. step a toe out of line, any kind of pain and suffering that you're enduring is punishment from God. It's not just the fact that we live in a fallen world and sometimes horrible things happen. And, you know, instead of what the gospel really is, is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are already completely justified in Jesus and covered in his righteousness. When God sees us, he sees us covered in Jesus's righteousness. And there's nothing we have to do to try to earn his love or approval. We already have it. And we can walk out our life from a position of gratitude right. instead of trying to earn. And confidence. Approval. Cause that's yes. what you're missing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. As you work through this in therapy <laughs> and you realize, oh my goodness, I was missing Jesus the whole time. How did you not give up on God? Because I know a lot of people have grown up in, in very religiously traumatic households and they have walked away. And, and I, I don't want, I don't want to judge them. I understand when you've been in trauma, especially religious trauma, I understand walking away. That makes me very sad, but I, I completely get it. <laughs> Why do you think you didn't? 
Well, I did take a break from church for a while. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes that's very necessary. <laughs> but as I began my district uh, deconstruction, I actually joined a Bible study and started studying the book of John. And I think that was the best book I could have started with because that's the gospel that speaks about Jesus's character the most. Mm -hmm. And I would say I was actually drawn closer to God the more I learned about Jesus and the more I studied how Jesus actually interacted with people, particularly women, particularly traumatized women. And I began to see him as my safe place. And I realized that he knew exactly what I was going through and that he wasn't the cause of my trauma and pain, but he was actually my safe harbor. So I, I became angry at the system and I found myself being drawn closer to God and to Jesus, because I actually started to see Jesus as, as a, as a friend, I don't know, yes. as, as I saw him more. That's in John, isn't it? But I've called you friends. Yeah. John 13. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I believe he was fully God and fully human, but I saw him in more of the, the human side. You know what I mean? I saw him with just the more, the more messy, empathetic, raw human side that we see rather than this authoritarian, invisible figure of God, the father that I had been told was something to, to, to fear in a negative way, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So you've, you've become quite um, the advocate online for getting out of these destructive views of God and helping people see who Jesus really is. I really enjoyed you online. You're so blunt on Facebook and, and social media. It's just awesome. But can you tell us one of one of the things I, I, I want our listeners to understand too, is it's not just Gothard. Like this, this podcast has been about Gothard, but as you've studied this, as you've talked to other um, women who's, who went through this with Bill Gothard, have you, have you seen it in other places too? Absolutely. I mean, any independent fundamentalist Baptist church is pretty much going to be teaching the same thing. You see it in a lot of Southern Baptist churches, even just traditional Baptist, um, sometimes even in Pentecostal. I mean, it's just, I don't know, just this legalism has infiltrated so many branches of evangelical churches, particularly. Of course, there are plenty of other strong figures in addition to Gothard. There's the Pearls, Michael and Debbie Pearl. Mm -hmm. There's Phillips with uh, Doug Phillips with Vision Forum. That was another cult that we also were a bit of a part of. There's Doug Wilson. Um, and his daughter, and, which is tragic. But yeah. but what? And one of the other commonalities I see too, like it's 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 legalism and it's this authority based thing. But there's also such a strong gender component to it as well, right? Where where men have authority over women. I know you're married now you've got, and I, I, you guys seem to have a great relationship, you seem to, <laughs> but was that a hard one to deconstruct? It was made easier by my husband. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, I love this. I love hearing about good guys. <laughs> uh, which, so that's an interesting thing. So I was born and raised and still live in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So still a bit of like Bible belt. 
And my husband was raised out in Oregon and he went to public school, but he was raised in a uh, Christian home and grew up in churches his whole life. Um, definitely not fundamentalist churches, but while he certainly heard some of these messages, I mean, he grew up a little bit with some of the modesty messages. He didn't grow up with the patriarchy that I did. And so he automatically had a different viewpoint of women. He saw them as, as equal. He had higher respect for women. So my relationship with my husband was very, very healing as we started dating and, and getting to know each other better and then, and then got married. I got to witness it firsthand. You know, it's like I, I, I entered in a marriage that was equal and that automatically just helped my deconstruction process and helped me realize just how dangerous and unharmful um, patriarchy is because I was living on the other side of it. Not yeah. just, not just reading about it, but actually living it. Yeah. I love that. I, 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 I say that about my husband too, is that I think that he was one of the best healing forces in my life too. You know, it's lovely, you know, when God can bring wonderful men in, into, into our lives and, and have that be part of, of the healing process from different things that we've endured. So that's beautiful. So one of the things I like that you do on, on Facebook is you're really trying to confront a lot of our bestsellers, kind of like what I've been doing and saying, Hey, this just, this just isn't okay. You know, this is what leads to things like what I was a part of. And can you tell us a little bit about those? Some of the books that you've read that you haven't liked or. Yes. Um, most recently I've been going through married sex by Gary Thomas and Deborah Felita. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I have found that book to be very damaging. And it's been a great lesson that just because one book is beneficial, it doesn't mean that that author is completely safe. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause I have, I really enjoyed Gary's work when to walk away. Mm -hmm. I found that book very healing. Um, it's a great book on just boundaries basically, but then I found married sex to be extremely damaging and I really found it to be no different than most of the Christian marriage books that have been written in the last few decades, big ones such as Love and Respect or Gary Smalley's books for better or for best, or oh, mm -hmm. if only he knew both of those books, um, also Shanti Felton's books. So I mean, I've found this toxic patriarchal message through all of these books. Mm -hmm. And I mean, these aren't even like fringe fundamentalist authors either. This is like in just every yeah. <laughs> evangelical church out there. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, I don't think these uh, just because your church does a book study on love and respect, I don't think that automatically means you have to write off that church or write off your pastor if he thinks that that's like, oh yeah, I read that book, you know, mm -hmm. 15 years ago. I thought it was great because as you've said on your blog recently, the tides are turning and I think people are beginning to see why those messages are toxic when they didn't see it before. And so, while I mean, 
if your pastor read uh, Love and Respect 15 years ago and thought it was good, you could certainly ask him to maybe reapproach it and see <laughs> if he still thinks it's okay. <laughs> but it's just, it's the message that the evangelical church has been fed for so long. I don't think people really, most people don't second guess it. And they just automatically assume, oh yeah, this is just how God designed men and women to be. And they don't realize how toxic it really is. Yeah. It's like my husband says, it's, it's like, there's a spectrum and Bill Gothard might be on one end and love and respect might be close. And, you know, married sex might be there too, but like, it's still the same root. <laughs> and so why not dig the whole thing up yes. and focus on Jesus instead? Okay. I got it. This, this one makes me laugh and maybe, maybe this isn't appropriate, but what I found so funny about married sex is every, all kinds of, of advocates and, and people read it separately and then gave their reviews and we all noticed different things. And like what I couldn't get over was the, the texting, the nude photos and getting aroused, giving a hand job postpartum. And I know what Sarah McDougall and Gretchen Baskerville couldn't get over. It was the flashing your boobs thing, but you were the first one. <laughs> and I don't even know if I can say this. I was the one who pointed out his idea of using your makeup brushes Yes. On your husband's nether regions. <laughs> yes. And, and again, I do not want to, uh, and Becca and I might talk about this on a future podcast. It's not that that is a bad idea. It's just suggesting it without the caveat that makeup brushes are super expensive. And that leads to like major <laughs> sanitary things. Like if you want to go buy a cheap thing of makeup brushes from the dollar store, like go to it. I don't care if it's just even, like, that's kind of a specific thing. It's extremely he, specific. Yeah. And he didn't write it as here's a hundred different random suggestions on things you could try. He wrote it as if this is how you should act yes. for your husband. And for women that that's not their thing, they're going to wonder what's wrong with me. Am I inadequate? Am I not being enough? Exactly. I know there's, there's a Facebook account, cringy Christian advice or something like that, which used the hashtag oddly specific. And I just <laughs> been killing myself laughing at that, but it's, it's, it's kind of like in every man's battle when Steve Arterburn, you know, says, maybe you hold the door open so a woman can go up the stairs first, but not out of honor. You know, maybe you stare at a woman in a sundress too much. Maybe you drive your rental car to the parking lot of a gym and masturbate to the women walking in. I was like, what? As if this is normal everyday behavior. Okay. It's like hashtag oddly specific. Yes, exactly. So tell us what you're, what you're doing now. What, what is thriving forward? Yeah. So I started thriving forward. Oh, I started writing online when I came out with my identity regarding the lawsuit. I was a Jane Doe for the first few years and as the lawsuit started to conclude, I decided that it was time to unveil myself. And so in 2018, I released my name and that instantly changed my world because I had been doing this deconstruction privately for a while. And now I was able to actually publicly show it mm -hmm. and uh, talk about it. I ended up officially starting thriving forward in 2020. And I talk about a variety of things. 
Um, I'm pretty much just right on Facebook right now. I do sometimes dig into Gothard's materials or other dangerous teachings or specific books. Like I said, I was going through married sex and doing a, a critique of that. Um, but then I also talk about chronic illness a lot too, because so many survivors of trauma deal with chronic illness because the body keeps the score. And, um, it's just, you know, incredibly common for that to, to coincide with trauma. So I talk about that, talk about chronic illness, interabled life, being married to someone who doesn't have chronic illness and how those relationships work. Definitely talk about deconstructing the purity movement and then just going, you know, how to heal from any kind of trauma. I, I'm, I usually center around religious trauma or trauma for those that experienced it in a Christian environment, but really we're just discussing what trauma can look like, what the effects are and how you can move on from it, how you can heal from it. And I, I came up with the name thriving forward because I think any person who's endured trauma and lived to tell the tale, they're a survivor, but sometimes you can get stuck there and you are still experiencing the trauma in a very real everyday sense, whether that looks like PTSD or you're still dealing with dysfunctional relationships in your life, or you're passing on dysfunctional mm-hmm. patterns in your own family, whatever that may be, your trauma is still haunting your everyday life. And I wanted a word that would move from survivor and, and into something beyond that. And I thought of thrive. To me, someone who's thriving is someone who has a complete understanding of what their trauma was and is, and has made peace with that and knows how to stop the pattern of trauma from continuing on in their life and from being passed down to their children and their family and just being healed, being a healed survivor. And that's not something that just happens and you're done. I think it's a lifelong process I've noticed. And as I enter new seasons of my life, whether that's marriage, hopefully one day I'll be a mom and I'm sure that will open up all new <laughs> layers. It's like, I think trauma healing is like a peeling away layers of an onion. And as the years go by, you experience more, more avenues of life. Uh, you're going to find your past sneaking up behind you and you're going to see things as dysfunctional, maybe that you didn't recognize before. And so I think it's, it's a lifelong journey. If you're willing to put in the work. I mean, this is how, this is how we turn the tide. This is how we make the next generation stronger and healthier. Amen. I love that. And I, my prayer for the next generation is that we do uproot, uproot this bad tree because this isn't of Jesus. It never was. And I'm so angry and embarrassed (laughs) that it ever became so popular, not just Gothard, but the whole ideas that his stuff was based on, it should never have become as big as it did. And so thank you for the work that you're doing, pulling that up. You know, we're in this together and, and the tide is turning. I think that God is doing an amazing work right now. 
And I'm glad you're part of it with me. Well, thank you so much. And uh, like I said, I love your work. You've been a huge encouragement to me and a great example of how to use your words to make an impact. Thank you. Well, we will put links to your social media and your blog in the um, listener notes to this podcast. And thank you so much for joining us, Emily. Thank you, Sheila. It was wonderful. So glad to be able to talk to you. That was so fascinating. I just, I, I love her description of what the gospel is right now. And if you're in just a church where you can't see Jesus, or if you're struggling to know where Jesus really is in all of this, you know, please check out Thriving Forward, um, but don't give up. And I just want to remind everyone, God is big enough for our questions. You don't need to feel badly about having questions or about having doubts. God can handle them. So give them to him and let him speak to you. Let him lead you. It's okay to be honest with God, even if you are angry or lonely or scared or whatever it is. Let him have it because you know, he wants you to be honest with him. That's what real relationship is, is when we're honest. So be honest and then, and then see what happens from that. Cause I know so many people have found Jesus, not by obeying everything, but by finally getting angry and saying, no, this can't be right. I need something else. As we're just finishing up, I, I want to end with a little bit of encouragement. Um, some more reviews have been coming in for our, our new books, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. And I just want to read one. This is the most recent one that I could find for The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. And Jennifer says, there are a lot of Christian books about marriage and sex. Some are good. Many are outright garbage, as well-meaning as they may be. This one and The Companion for Men, however, is the most necessary. It is immensely practical. The description of the sexual response cycle is invaluable in preventing and dispelling false expectations that would otherwise lead to issues. When you connect that with the description of sex as mutual, intimate, and pleasurable, you have a Christian book that is different from all the rest. There are no Christian books I know of on this topic that show both men and women so much honor and kindness. And I love that. That's what we're all about. We just want to show the Imago Dei in both women and men and get us on the road to a life-giving sex life instead of a soul-crushing one. So that's what we're all about here. You can pick up The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, anywhere where you buy books. They're doing really well. And of course, The Great Sex Rescue too. So The Great Sex Rescue is all about demolishing the lies that we've been told and then in the Good Girl's Guide and the Good Guy's Guide, we try to build a healthy sex life from the ground up. So thank you for joining me on the podcast. We're so thrilled that our latest manuscript is in. I've taken a couple of days off this week. I've gotten caught up on some emails um, and I've just loved seeing some of the DMs come through on how this podcast has been changing people's lives. That makes us happy. That's our goal. And so thank you for listening. Please remember to rate uh, this podcast five stars wherever you listen to it and subscribe. We're over a million downloads. I haven't even looked, but December 31st of last year, we hit a million downloads. So that's all due to you guys. So thank you so much. Spread the word. And we will see you again next Thursday for the next edition of the Bear Marriage Podcast. Bye-bye.